Hello, and welcome to the Running Wild Press podcast. We're talking about the anthology of novellas, and it's a two-volume anthology, and my first guest is Julie Whitehead, author of Looking for Home. Hello, Julie. Hello. So how did you discover Running Wild Press? I actually entered on a submittable search. I was looking in submittable, and I saw they were looking for novellas, and I happened to have one handy, so I sent it in. I knew submittable handed the submission process. I didn't know there was a search aspect to it, too. i got to check that out. It's called Discover. You're teaching at Mississippi College? Yes, sir. I've been doing that for a good solid year now. Are you teaching English then? I'm teaching British Lit. Is that a community college or a a full university? It's a four-year university. It's the oldest university in Mississippi. So then your degree is PhD in Lit? No, actually, I have a master's degree. I'm working on an MFA at this moment from the Mississippi University for Women. What is the MFA going to get you that you don't already have from the master's? Full-time employment. (laughs) Fair enough. Now, how long have you been teaching? I taught for three years at Mississippi State University in Starkville, two years as a teaching assistant, and one year as a adjunct. And then I taught for, again, in 2011 at Hines Community College for five years, and now I'm teaching at Mississippi College. For somebody who's taught in college this long and then to go to college. Is that an adjustment? I mean, do you you start a class and you're like, you call that a syllabus? <laughs> Not really. I, I understand that people do things differently than I might do them. And I'm teaching lower level classes. I'm teaching survey classes and I'm teaching, I've taught freshman composition for several years. I've, this is my first time. This is my second or third class of British Lit, and I understand people do things differently, and things are organized differently in different programs, so that's not really a problem for me. Are you an adjunct professor? Yes, sir. So that should give you time to write, then. I have some friends who are adjunct professors, and you know, they can pick and choose sort of the schedule. Is that Would you say that's fair? Right. Yes, sir. The the big discussion in my writer circles is always, like, when do you have time to write? And, you know, the, the big enemy is always the full-time job. Right. Uh, uh, being a full-time professor, you'll you'll still be able to write? Oh, I think so. I've, I've raised three kids, and so I have loose time. And they're all out of the house now? Uh, except for one, and she's on her way. <laughs> Does she know that? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're very upfront about bi- having bipolar disorder. You have a blog about it. What is it like living with that and then working this kind of schedule? It works fairly well right now. Sometimes it works better than others. I have had some difficulties since I've gone back to work, but uh, I've had the grace to have had very understanding employers. And sometimes the bipolar seems uncommonly considerate, and I will break down over the spring break and not miss any work. It's, it's been it's been good about about its timing, but I can't count on that forever. But um, so far, it seems to have worked out fairly well that when I go downhill, it's when I'm actually off work. When were you diagnosed? In 2006. You were officially diagnosed in 2006. Looking back on your life, when do you think you started maybe displaying symptoms? Probably when I was eight years old. Mm, Wow, that far back. Right. I think that was my first manic episode. I was a child and I was eight years old and suddenly I turned into a kissy girl. I was the one that ran around the playground trying to kiss the boys. Oh, okay. And that's that's awfully early to be doing that. Nobody knew how to handle that behavior at that point, but I snapped out of it after a couple of months. 
that did not help me with the other kids. But the adults stopped worrying about me at that point, which was a mistake. I had trouble from then on out. And now do you think people are more aware, parents are more aware, the educational systems are more aware for this behavior? People know, are maybe more trained to, to recognize this behavior? I'm not positive about that. I know that there's a lot more seriousness surrounding discussions of suicide, mm -hmm. which that was discovered through the school system with me when I was 14. Oh, okay. Um, I, it's kind of a corny story. They wanted to start an advice column at the school newspaper, and they asked for people to write in, and I wrote in. A, I was a precocious child. I read newspapers. I knew what a advice column was about, so I wrote in that I was considering suicide. And the administration completely flipped out. They called my mom. They sat down and talked to me, but there was no follow-up from there. Wow. That's a bit heavier question than they were expecting, probably. Yes, it was. It never ran, and they dropped the idea of the advice column. So you have a novella. So that's a novella is an interesting format. You know, it's between the novel and the short story. I, though I think there is another, officially, there's another category between short story and novella. Novelette. Novelette, yes. You know, novellas for a long time there wasn't much of a market for them, but now we've got digital publishing where length is really not a concern. When did when did you write this novella? Let me think now. This was, I was in the middle of unmedicated bipolar disorder when I started it. So it was probably shortly after 2006. I wrote it as a full-length novel at first and cut it down to a novella sometime in the early 2000s. And then on the advice of someone that I trusted, they said, uh, you're all over the place. You've got too many characters, who, too many narrators, too many people involved, too long a scope of time. You need to shrink it in to one character, one point of view, and one direct scope of time. And he said that Cassie Beck was the most sympathetic character out of a lot, the 15-year-old girl, so that's his point of view it wound up in. And when I cut it down, I seriously cut it down from a good 300-some-odd pages to about 90. Wow. Are there other novellas that could come out of that cut material? There are. I, I toyed with the idea of doing another one about her birth parents, about what happened to them after Cassie found them. I've toyed with that. But I don't think I'm going to do it because, again, it would be a, an idea of time and space. It would probably turn out to be longer than this one. And it would probably be a case of riding too far out of my comfort zone. I'd have to go back to 1974 when they met. And I was four years old at that point, and I don't know very much about that time period. Let me go back and ask you then, what's your, your own history as a writer? It was always my aspiration. I read a book about journalism probably when I was around eight years old. And I remember thinking, that's what I want to do, mm -hmm. write for newspapers. Because I knew about newspapers. My grandparents got the news, the Memphis newspaper, the Commercial Appeal, and I read it religiously whenever I was over there. And I thought, you yeah, know, that sounds like a good idea. That's a way to write and get paid. <laughs> that was the way I thought at age eight. Mm -hmm. And so I went through high school with that in mind. I got a journalism degree from Mississippi State University, and then I got a master's degree in English from Mississippi State University as well. And I did not get a writing job first out of college because this was the 90s, and we had George Bush's, George Herbert Walker Bush's economy, and nobody was paying anybody to write. Right. 
It was terrible. And I took a state job working for Social Security, and then I developed a freelance career when I was 29. Really? Mm-hmm, year 2000. I started writing freelance work. Actually, an opportunity, I found an opportunity in the classifieds. It didn't work out. I had three articles, and I thought, I have three good articles. I'm going to see where I can sell them. And it went just that quickly. And within a year, I had quit my state job, and I wrote full-time for about six or seven years. And then that was strictly nonfiction journalism. Right. No, no fiction? Not at that point. Now, after Hurricane Katrina, I had an idea come to me that would not let go. And I started on my novel, and that was when I, my bipolar became fully manifest to the point that I could no longer work with daily deadlines. And I thought, well, I'll just write novels. I've got all this time on my hands, and I'll just write novels and get an agent and publish that way. I thought I was going to be the next Donna Tart, you know. Yeah, I'm familiar with that feeling. Right. It did not quite turn out that way. I didn't realize how difficult it would be to break into it, and I did not realize how difficult it would be to work my way up to it. I want to go back to the, the freelancing. So so 2000, there, was it an Internet thing? I mean, were you finding work through the message boards and such, or was there another freelance path? I'm in the capital city of Mississippi. I'm just outside it in Brandon. And there were a lot of publications in the area. This was before the great journalism shakeout of the late 2000s. I worked for 10 different publications over the course of time. And it was just a case of developing personal context of those publications and sending them stories. I started off, like I said, with three stories. And I sold those to three separate publications in the Jackson area, and I just called them up and said, I have this article, would you like to see it? And it went from there. Is it easier to get an interview if you've got representation of a, uh, a newspaper, or? It is. Yeah, it, I imagine so. Say, um, I'm calling on behalf of so-and-so, Can I want to interview about such-and-such, such. you know, would you be interested, that sort of thing. It does help, yes, sir. You know, if they've never heard of the publication, if you're talking to the PR department, they're always glad for free press. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about your history of fiction writing then. What publications do you have on that so far? I've published several short stories I've published in that you probably, Alice, you've probably never heard of. Um, China Grove Press, The New Southerner, Conclave Journal, Cobalt Review, and just various small pieces, The Gordian Review out of Texas Review Press. Just a lot of small publications at this point. This is probably the first one that, that you could call big and that's going to appear in an actual book. The title of the story is Looking for Home? Yes, sir. It's very much about the South and about the power dynamics that operate in the South in the 70s. It's about power and who exercises that power. And it's a love story and it's a story about a young girl who is simply looking for someone else to be her parent. She doesn't have a good home life, and she wants someone to rescue her from that, and she thinks her birth parents can do that. And when she finds out that they can't, then that's when the story hits its climax and um, things become very difficult. The power dynamic is that the girl was born to a young couple. The girl was 16 and the boy was 18. The boy was unsuitable, according to the girl's parents, meaning he was poor. And he got the girl pregnant. And what you did in that time, if you were wealthy enough, was you sent the girl off to have the baby 
give it up for adoption, then come back. And in this case, the baby was adopted by her brother. And he still holds it against the young man that he got his sister pregnant. This is the story very much develops into a power dynamic between the adoptive father not wanting his daughter to have any contact with her birth father for the same reason. And he exerts all the, all the power that he can leverage to try to keep her from knowing her birth parents. And it finally gets to be too much for the young lady. You wrote the first draft of this. It sounds like you wrote it in a manic episode. Maybe not fully manic because I was medicated by that point. By the time I started writing this book, this was my second novel that I started to work on. And I pretty much started with that first scene I described and wrote the novel from there. I was probably hypomanic, which is slightly less frenzied than a manic episode, but it's a very cyclical. My, my um, disease is it starts with mania and then it crashes into depression, typically in the spring. Mm. And then I have to be built back up. And during the fall, I'll be stable and then crash again in the spring. So I'm not quite sure where this novel fell in that, but that's kind of the cycle that happens. You've written in these various states of mind, manic and hypomanic, and maybe I, I guess I'll call it baseline. Can you talk a little bit about writing in those different states is like and what what's the difference in what's being produced? When you're manic, you produce a lot, but it may not be very good. But you think it's great. You think you're going to be the next John Grisham. <laughs> you know, you love it. You love every word and you can't cut anything. Mm-hmm. That is the difficulty. There's actually a technical term for that. I won't bore you with it, but it's where you are not aware of what's happening to you Mm -hmm. and you're not aware that you're going into a manic state and you're not aware of the results of that manic state. I don't mean to make light of it, but it does sound like a really good attitude to have when writing a first draft. (laughs) Yes, you can get a lot done, but like I said, it's very difficult. For me, it's been very difficult to know what to cut. When you look at it later in a different state of mind, then is there anything in there that's really, really surprised you? How dark it was. I didn't think of myself as a particularly dark person, but that's what I find after 13 years now of trying to do fiction. I write very dark stories and how dark that was considering how excited I was to be writing it down was kind of disconcerting. I'll say that for it. Writing in a depressed state is different in that you fight harder to get the words and you don't think any of it's any good. You write it and you want to delete every bit of it when you go back and read it as long as you're depressed. So it's harder to turn off your inner critic and it's harder to produce what you're looking for. It's almost the complete opposite. I imagine, yeah. And that's consistent with what I've I've read about the subject. So then you have the the blog, julielwhitehead.wordpress.com. Yes, sir. And um, I'm on Twitter, J-U-L-I-E-L-W-H-E-A, numeral one. And we'll have links to that in the show notes. Thank you very much, Julie. All right. Well, thank you. And we've had a great conversation. I thank you for doing this. (laughs) Sure, absolutely. So once again, the author is Julie Whitehead. The story is Looking for Home. And the anthology is Running Wild Novella Anthology, Volume 2, Part 2. Thank you for joining me. Yes, sir. Thank you.